Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and Eyal Levy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am your host, Joel Wanasek, and with me is Mr. Al, the legend, Levy. Hi. And, <laughs> hi. <laughs> we have a special guest with us today, uh, Mary Zimmer from voicehacks.net. And Mary is an old friend of mine, somebody I went to college with. And it's kind of funny and ironic because Mary and I stay in touch, but all the people that we went to school with, like none of them ever really ended up making a career in music. And Mary and I are still here kicking away, kicking ass and taking names. So <laughs> Want to know something gonna... funny? Yes, I do. See, I didn't realize you guys went to college together. I've kind of known Mary forever as well. Mm-hmm. Since 2009, actually. Oh, oh, wait. I go back to like, what, 2003, two, four? <laughs> Maybe more than that. <laughs> Who's if we were, do, do we? How do? How much do we want to admit to? You know, it's going to date ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I'll just stick with the 2009 thing. <laughs> yeah, we win, you lose. Yeah, me and Al were at the very first Revolver Golden Gods, and we did a hilarious interview on the black carpet, talking to the Metal Injection guys about how much we partied the night before, because we didn't really have much going on <laughs> to talk about at that wait, time. Wait. So. Al parties. I did. I used to. We went to Steel Panther. That's right. I've been trying to get him to like drink a beer with me at a bar, like more than one, for more than like 10 minutes for since we started this company. Dude, I, I have partied for like eight lifetimes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> over, I'm, I'm really over it at this point. I'm just playing catch up because I just worked the whole time while everybody else is partying, but I'll cry about it later. It was work. I was in a band and I was networking. So it was all work. Even though uh, those trips were fun, like going to the Golden Gods and all that shit, that to me was work. That was valuable work shit. And uh, the partying was just to overcome massive yeah. social anxiety. So <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Yeah, totally. But I don't really get social anxiety like that anymore. So, And I don't like partying. So fuck you, bro. <laughs> Just kidding, I love you. I'm just going to cry. Just kidding, I love you. Yeah, no, <laughs> Mary and I went to the to this, we hung out and we were signed to the same label, right? Uh-huh. No, you, wasn't, wasn't Darth on Roadrunner and we I were, was on Cent- yeah, Century but then Media. We, yeah, but we or didn't you guys stay. switched? We got switched. Um, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I knew from the beginning that w- there's no way that Doth could ever sell enough records to do more than one record on Roadrunner. So we got moved to Century Media. And also, we both recorded with Sukoff. And so we were both yes. on the same label, and we had both worked with Sukoff. And so we both knew George, and so we just uh, met. And uh yes. That's the story. Yes. And here we are That's today. the story. Morning glory. I got a yeah, better story than that. Once me and Mary walked around downtown Milwaukee <laughs> and hung out flyers for our really crappy local bands at the time. We got much better as time went on, but you know, at the time our bands were terrible. We hung out yes. flyers for the show and I don't think anybody cared it came. It was great. We were we were cam- literally canvassing on feet. And then another time when you first very first started recording because back in the day I was a recording nerd, you know, at, at UW Whitewater. Then I learned I do not have the patience or the skill for it, but I had a bunch of sound foam and I brought it over to you 
you at your like very first studio, you know, at your house. That's right. I remember that. Did you hang it now up I or did you burn old. it? No, we hung it up. <laughs> He hung it up. <laughs> it was Oralex or like a knockoff, so I don't think it actually did anything, but you know, whatever. Right. But when you're first starting, you're just like, I got this stuff, you know, like, you know, it's funny. Yeah, that's like the first hallmark of being a legit studio was like your first two by four foam panel that you put on your oh, wall. Yeah. You're like, all right, we in the studio now, motherfuckers, let's go. Dude, right, right. I have an entire basement filled with that shit, like a room. Well, not an entire basement, but like the room that it's in is like the size of some people's basements and is filled from floor to ceiling with foam. And uh, if anyone wants to buy it off me, hit me up, al at urm.academy, <laughs> e-y-a-l at urm.academy. Because uh, I just realized that I need to get rid of that shit. But like I covered my entire, like my entire old studio in four by four and four inch thick foam and bass traps <laughs> foam bass traps so much of it so much it, like, it literally is floor to ceiling taking up an entire huge room and uh let's talk about why mary's here nah we're talking about <laughs> foam but if yeah you want to do that, it's fine. <laughs> well there's a reason you're here besides that we think you're cool mary is actually a really great vocalist uh she's been a vocalist in various bands and started voicehacks.net which is basically tutorials and lessons for singers and screamers and I'd like to say that it's kind of like more modern day Melissa Cross type stuff for people who are familiar with that and uh, we sure. kind of, I, I mean I'm just give, it's not the same but I'm just trying to give people no, a re- reference I'm all, I'm all for it, I, I, took, I studied with Melissa so I definitely give her props uh, in all areas And well I think that she helped bring the concept of vocal health for screamers and proper technique to a forefront where before oh, yes. her that wasn't even a thing, right? No, oh, yeah, no. You just blew out your throat and then left the studio in defeat and no one knew why. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, I discovered Melissa Cross actually when I was recording in the studio at UW-Whitewater because I used to live in there. I mean, when I really liked recording, <laughs> um, I was the only person who was in the studio at Whitewater. You know, I learned on their very, very first Pro Tools rig, which I still had to use ADATs and all that crap. Uh, <laughs> oh my. I, I remember Are you sure like, this was 2003 and not 1993? No, this UW-Whitewater was really behind. Like, we got our first Pro Tools rig in 2001, and it was um, with a grant, and we were running it, like, on the old Mac with the blue shell. <laughs> so it was That's like, why I went for business. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. It was unbelievable. But I, I lived in there. I recorded metal bands in there all the time. And one of my things that I love to do, you guys and your recording audience will nerd out on this is I had a subscription to tape op. So I was like, oh, oh yeah. I love tape op. Everything they say is the best, you know, and I would just be geeking out on that and nerding out and recording people. And I came running into the studio one day when I was working with, um, the Ottoman Empire, a.k.a. Luna Mortis, the band that a lot of you guys know me for. I was recording poorly some of our earliest stuff, and <laughs> I came in the studio. I was pointing to tape op. They did an article about Melissa Cross, and she was talking about the screaming techniques. And I had been screaming, but I hadn't really quite figured out what was happening. I just knew something was right because I knew that... Um, 
it wasn't making me hoarse and that there were a lot of singers even at that time who had been doing it for like 10 or 15 years. And I was like, they can't, you can't do something for that long without, you know, if you're, if you're hurting yourself. So there has to be a right way to do it, whether people know it or not. And I read her articles and I came running in. I was like, you guys, this is what I'm talking about. You know, this, uh, Melissa Cross is saying what I've been saying and da, da, da. And they just looked at me like, huh? Like, <laughs> and then went back to their own thing. Like they could care less, you know, about it. But I was like nerd city, you know, and she was the first person to really, you know, kind of like translate classical stuff into screaming. And I could say that really works. Um, my, the singer from Doth was like a devotee to her methods. And long before he got in the band, he went to her as well and studied with her. And basically, since him, I've never encountered a vocalist, a screamer who had that kind of stamina. He could do eight-hour sessions for a month straight and sure. and not get tired. It was crazy. Like, we, w- we would get off the road, go right to recording because I had a studio, and literally eight hours a day, 30 days straight in the studio with him, and he wouldn't get hoarse, nothing. He'd be totally cool. Imagine that, practice and training correctly. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really the idea, right? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe he's a freak. Like, I think that there's a little... <laughs> I think that there's a little bit of freakish genetics going on with him, but still, you can definitely get to close to that level of screaming your fucking lungs out without hurting yourself if the technique's right. Absolutely. So let's talk about why it's important for a producer to understand the mechanics, because I think that's a good conversation piece and the reason why we wanted to have Mary on. So first and foremost, you know, I'm going to ask you, Mary, why is it important for a producer to understand this stuff? But then we'll break down some of the mechanics of singing and some of the practical things that you can do as a producer, because a lot of vocalists are going to come into the studio and they're not going to know shit. They're not going to know how to not blow out their voice and when they're not when yes. they're going too hard, when they're not going too hard. So it'd be cool to address all of those topics, but let's start out at the top. Okay. Well, it's important because if you, it's a totally different instrument. It's a totally unique instrument, right? And if you don't understand what's going on with it, I think maybe you'll have a really hard time getting the guy or girl on the other end of the microphone to do what it is you're trying to get them to do. And if you say, a lot of producers will do this kind of stuff and be like, well, do it like this guy, you know, or do it like this person. And that's just like, unfortunately, not specific enough. And it might even behoove a producer to kind of watch some of my tutorials or take some lessons or something so that they themselves understand what are some really practical suggestions they could give people. And real quick, sorry to cut you off. All you guys listening, if you want to check out her tutorials, we are going to put links in the show notes. So just check the show notes and we'll have links to her site and uh, and tutorials and all that good stuff. So, so one thing is that I find that a lot of producers will have you do takes and just not explain, you know, what it is that you need to change from take to take. So a good place to start for producers is even if you don't know any vocal technique and you're kind of like devoid of suggestions, you're not sure what to say, start by telling them what it is that they need to fix. Don't just like hit the space bar. No, no, no. Again, you know? again yeah, no yeah. garbage, no. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because I interned for a guy like that back when I was like learning 
trying to record. And I learned like that doesn't really it just frustrates the musicians. And and um so you have to be like, okay, well that was flat, you know, that was sharp. And sometimes you have to uh, kind of ask the singer if they have any training, if they play any other instruments, they might not actually even know what that means. So if they're like, don't know anything, you might have to explain to them, well, your pitch is a little lower than it should be. That's what I mean by flat. So we have to try, you could even sing it to them if you have a good ear. Like for example, you know, after going in the studio with Sukhoff, talk about a guy with a crazy good ear. He would like, he would stop me and then he would sing it perfectly in the center of the pitch to me, you know, make sure that like I could hear the difference between, you know, what I was doing and where I was falling short a little bit. So if you're a good vocalist, you could sing it to them, show them, illustrate to them. You know, if you're not, you need to really be specific. Like, I'd really like to hear that in an angrier tone or just with more energy. You know, you need to be specific. If you just keep hitting it and stuff, you're not going to get results. So I found that uh, one thing that helped me, because I'm not a vocalist, is to try to understand like a little bit of the mechanics so like where they should be singing from how they should shape their mouth how it should feel in their throat things like that so that i can uh try to give specific things to do to achieve a certain sound because it's not like i could say just match me yes yes and that's really the core of how i teach you know is by telling people this is what you need to do to make this sound and i separate it into different actions for different sounds and i make it very specific and very clear and it really is effective because people get straight to the point so there's a few things you know i i can tell people to suggest to their singers, you know, that would come from like a lesson standpoint as far as like breathing and tone placement. There's some real quick fixes people can learn to do and some really fast tips, you know, that we can talk about as well. So what are some of them just offhand? So first thing is you just want to make sure one time I was tracking in a studio where in the ISO booth, they had this air conditioning duct, you know, just blasting right above where the microphone is, which on one hand, makes kind of sense because you don't might get hot in the ISO booth. But what's counterproductive about that is air conditioning or any sort of you know ventilation is going to cause dryness in the vocal cords. So I was just like having the hardest time, and this was like way into my training. This was only like three years ago, and I told him it was like my my friend Don Dibias, this producer from Cleveland. I told him I said, buddy, you got to turn the AC off in that ISO booth because I'm like dying in here. It's so so dry. So if you really have to put it on because it's it's hot in there or this just like there's dry conditions, winter, and the person seems kind of crackly. The first thing you can do is just make sure the vocal cords are moisturized and that the tissues inside the trachea are moisturized. That, even if nobody knows anything else about singing, that's going to improve it right away. Just, it's like putting an oil in an engine or not, you know? Even if you don't know anything about cars, it's going to improve the whole thing immediately when you add oil to it. So, what you need to do is get some, like, mint tea, mint er herbal tea with no green or black tea in it, because green and black tea will really dry everything out, the tannins. You know, some mint tea will help, Ricola lozenges, you want all natural herbal lozenges that don't have chemicals or alcohol in them or a um, like a facial steamer or just a cup of steam, you know, with no, just hot water that you're breathing in. Just always be careful. You can burn yourself with steam. So go carefully into that one. But, you know, like there's the Vicks facial steamers you can put your face in. So first first step is moisture. That will improve a lot for a singer. Just drink the tea or a screamer. That's a step of complexity beyond just drinking water though 
steaming oh, yes. tea. Yes, yes. Because you think about the physiology, your vocal cords and the related folds for creating harsh sounds are all in the trachea and the epiglottal funnel. They're not in the food pipe. <laughs> so you need to inhale. You can't drink water onto that. You can drink water and it will go through your bloodstream and get up to your throat. It will moisturize like your top soft palate a little bit, but you want to moisturize the tissues through the entire respiratory tract. So that's why inhaling steam and drinking like a mint tea, because you're going to inhale the menthol vapors, which are also anti-inflammatory. When we get untrained singers who aren't using good air support or screamers, their vocal folds tend to slam together. They get hoarse the farther along they go. So mint, you know, we're looking at an anti-inflammatory thing here. You know, because actually taking oral anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen and things can actually put someone at risk for like vocal hemorrhaging. And you don't really want that. So, Mary, what do you think about turmeric? Because I have a certain anti-inflammatory tea that I've made that's really helped me a lot, not with vocals, but just in general with like what a small carpal tunnel from editing and typing and um, tendonitis from over guitar playing for many, many years. So what I do is I take uh, fresh turmeric root, organic, and I grate it. Um, then I take fresh ginger root and I grate it. You have to have black peppercorns in with the turmeric to increase absorption. And then usually I throw okay. in like a cinnamon stick and then I... I boil water, make tea out of it. And um, it's, you know, it's really spicy, but it's really helps me with anytime I have like joint stiffness or anything like that. And it's just general good health. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. I mean, any sort of anti-inflammatory benefits you can get from a dietary dietary things, whether it be like a more plant-based diet or a a ginger, turmeric, those kind of things, those are all fine. It's just synthetic, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, they call them. So your Aleve, and ibuprofen, and of course, uh, aspirin, which is a blood thinner. These things can put people at risk for vocal hemorrhaging, and it's pretty easy to hemorrhage your vocal cord, you know, burst the blood vessel, because it's just like your eye. It's a very, like, thin membrane. So, and when we're singing really aggressively and screaming, the blood is, you know, rushing to that area. And so we really want to try to mitigate that, if we can, those risks. But, you know, I don't want people to get too neurotic about that, you know, um, it is what it is, you know, but always the more natural op- option is going to be the safer option always. Awesome. All right. So what was the second tip before I interrupted you? <laughs> no, that's fine. Because like I'll just bastard. keep talking. No, no, you have to, or this will just be me talking for like 30 She's minutes. She's fired. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm I think of like the wealth of information that I give my students during the lessons. They can't understand why I only do our lessons. I'm like, because you guys would never... I have so much information. It goes on forever. So one thing is for breathing, right? So whether it's a singer or a screamer or an opera singer, for that matter, you should try to get them to breathe correctly. 99% of the problems people are having in the studio are breathing. But if you tell somebody, breathe with your diaphragm, that doesn't mean anything to them. It's completely confusing and doesn't help. Is that what is happening when we breathe correctly? Certainly. But your diaphragm is the muscle that automates your breathing. It's also the muscle that spasms when you have a hiccup and you can't consciously control it. You have no control over this muscle whatsoever. So it only moves because you've inhaled fully and you're exhaling and you don't actually sing with that. You sing with the abdominus, your six pack muscle in the front of the stomach. That you have conscious control over. If I 
say, I'm going to punch you in the stomach, you can tighten it up voluntarily, you can tighten it up for crunches. So the basic mechanics for good singing and screaming is to fill the lungs fully and to squeeze them from underneath. And I have a few videos about how to do this and how to train yourself to do it. But the easiest way, if you're in the studio and somebody is like just not hitting the mark, they're always flat, they're lacking energy, or maybe their screams are just weak or they're getting tired, whatever the issue is, try the breathing trick. And what you do is you ask them to just stand up a little taller, fill the lungs fully by taking a deep breath through the mouth. And then as they begin to sing or scream, doesn't matter, whatever they're doing, tell them to imagine they have a string tied to their sternum, their chest plate, their chest plate right in the middle of their chest. That's sort of just lifting up the sternum. You guys can kind of try it yourselves and feel that. You wanna use your back to lift you up. You don't wanna tighten up the shoulders either. Explain that to them. But just tell them, just lift the sternum as you begin to sing. So when I do that, you notice an extraordinary amount of release of pressure off of your vocal cords because then you're not getting the big raising and lowering of the shoulders where all the air comes out at once like the you know that kind of crap (laughs) you guys know it you've heard heard that a million times and so you you can even try it just with speaking if I just do it now I fill my lungs and I lift my sternum as I go to speak hey hi how are you I can I feel a certain like effortlessness in my voice you guys can try it if you want (laughs) Hey, hi, how are you? Welcome to the Unstoppable Vocal Training Podcast. <laughs> hey, right. hi, how are you? Welcome to my show, the yeah, AL you, show. <laughs> you should feel, as you lift the sternum and begin to speak, as you keep it lifted, your abdomen will start to automatically contract underneath just by lifting it. That's all you have to do. So if I'm going to sing and I'm just falling short of it and somebody says, just fill the lungs and just lift the chest as you sing your first note, it will set the air pressure up for the whole rest of the sentence. Hey, you know, very effortless kind of sounding rock singing, you know, then there's no tension in my throat there because I'm using the air. So the sternum lift is a very simple, very quick, very easy way to get somebody to do something without giving them some weird esoteric kind of instruction that they don't understand. Over the pencil. <laughs> yeah, that that actually works too. Melissa Cross's over the pencil technique, right. Tone placement. But I have like a little bit more specific tone placement things that I would suggest in the studio for rock singing. A little bit more specific than over the pencil. I don't know if you guys want to talk about those. <laughs> but I want to go where you want to go with the show. Well... Crickets. <laughs> Just kidding. Crickets. Joel, sure, sure. I was wondering, I was waiting for Joel to answer, and then I didn't answer, and then I realized crickets. My Skype cut out for a second. I'm uh, sorry. I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties, but let me say this. So about a year ago, I was doing a lot of my now well-known and loved and sometimes maybe hated by some people, Facebook live rants. And I was after, you know, you go on and you're intensely talking passionately for like an hour to two hours. And I was really getting dried out and I was really struggling a lot with my vocals. And I just was killing my voice and I was losing my voice. And then I went to NAM um, last year. Killer. Which would be, yes, so about a year ago. And I just killed my whole voice. I don't know. I was just because I talk way too damn much and I never listened to anybody else. So I was just <laughs> and I blew it out on day two. And then that was it for the rest of NAM. I couldn't talk and it took me months to get it back. And then, of course, I come back right away and I'm like, all right, Facebook Live, two hours. Let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Podcast. One thing after another. And I'll tell you, man, I really kicked my ass. So I hit up Mary. I'm like, Mary, <laughs> what the hell can I do? So I got some really great advice from Mary, which she just told you quite a bit of like, 
you know, uh, the peppermint tea and steaming and uh, good lodgings and stuff. I also got some good advice from Rob Flynn from Machine nice. Head. And Rob had t- told me to to kind of like talk through my nose and adjust my vo- vocal apparatus to be kind of more like uh, how the Brits talk with a rising intonation. I'm not going to do the, I'm not going to do it and embarrass myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was horrible. But you know what I mean? Like they have that, they're projecting through kind of like almost like the nasal cavity and not so much through the throat. Is that correct, Mary? Yeah. I mean, so what Rob was really expertly explaining to you was, you know, the concept of tone placement. So this is the next thing that I was going to talk about is another thing that we do to get good vocal production is tone placement. So what he was saying when he was saying, you know, kind of give it this British lilting feeling or sing or speak kind of through the nose, he's trying to direct you into tone placement, placing your tone somewhere else, directly focusing on sending it in a different direction, and that will create a different sound. And the reason why that works is because the the, the weirdest thing is this is unlike any other instrument. The voice and all of the things that control the voice are not neurologically connected to your brain in the same way as your hands. There are no tactile nerve endings in the entire structure, really. On the outside, and when we feel pain or tension, it's usually not from our swollen vocal cords. It's from the extrinsic muscles around the larynx. Um, we can't actually feel them slamming together. <laughs> we just lose our voice, and we do feel like the soreness, kind of, but it's not the same as if we could actually feel them slamming together. I think it would be quite painful. But we're wired that way because abstract thought needs to control your expression. It's evolutionary. So, you know, you need to be able to yell for help automatically without thinking about it. You need to be able to say something and communicate with the other humans around you, you know, in in the appropriate tones, you know, whether you say something sarcastically or meanly or whatever. So that's great when you're speaking, but when you're singing or you want to do controlled speaking so you can be like a public speaker, you have to use tone placement. You need to control that abstract thought. You have to put a very specific picture in your head while singing or speaking, depending on what you're doing. And um, there's different ones for screaming that I use, but I'm going to talk about the singing one right now because it really applies more to like rock singing and speaking. So I kind of have developed my own system of tone placement which is a little different than classical tone placement. I learned the concept from classical singers and from Melissa Cross. You know, she talked about the above the pencil. That's actually a really old classical technique that she adapted for rock singing called dynamic registration. And when we have the correct tone placement in our head, it makes things move in our in our voice. So, so I can't tell you, Joel, hold your larynx in place, move it up and down, do all this crap. You can't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd be it, like whatever I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that w- you can't. You can't though. I can like, lower my larynx though and talk like this. If you <laughs> but you have to think of like a certain sound or making a certain voice or something. You know what I mean? You're not yeah. really thinking about like when you think about moving your hands. It's a much more direct command. I can do a low larynx ah oh, like that. <laughs> but when I do that, I am just thinking about making that sound, and then my larynx gets pushed down. Um, and that's really what it is. So if I am rock singing, so mostly you're going to have a rock singer in the studio, heavy metal singer, 
And even if they're singing with kind of grit, like, yeah, you're James Hetfields and all that, you want to direct them to imagine that all of their notes are going forward. So I have a set of like three laser positions. I tell people to imagine their sound going in. I tell them to imagine their sound as a laser cannon from the back of the mouth that's on a pivot. And you can point it in a s- several directions. And what direction you point it in is going to change the style. And it's how I teach people to sing opera versus rock singing. Our tone placement for rock singing is forward tone placement. So if you imagine your laser beam of sound coming right out through the philtrum, that's that thing right below your nose that a lot of people get pierced. <laughs> it's also, you can imagine a piece of floss through your two front teeth, and you want to send all notes through there, whether they're high or low. So, hey, you know, that's forward. That's why it doesn't sound like opera singing. When I have a specific picture in my head, my throat relaxes, my larynx goes into its neutral position, and I get the most resonant sound and the most breath connection. So if you're just hearing somebody biff their high notes, tell them, I want you to imagine that you're sending that high note forward, you know, provided they're not trying to do hair metal falsetto type of things. I'm talking about specific, (laughs) you know, because that's a different tone placement. I'm talking about specifically rock singing like Bruce, you know, Bruce Dickinson when he's not going up into the super high notes. But if you're hearing somebody belt real high like a Lizzie Hale or something and they're just biffing it, send it forward. They need to picture, it's not a specific enough picture to say like sing like this person or imitate me or whatever. Tell them, imagine those notes going forward with a lot of power and that will trick the brain. A lot of times when you think about going up, your larynx shoots up and then you can't really sing the note. So sending the sound forward, having a very specific picture in your mind and that would be the tone placement for rock singing or speaking. Hi, hello, you know, and you combine that with the breathing, you've got a magic trick there. So that makes me think of a situation that I've encountered quite a bit, which is dealing with screamers who don't practice Mm -hmm. um, and come to the studio and uh, don't, they don't have a good warm up. They don't have, they don't have anything. They just scream on stage and, or band practice. And then doing like a vocal session starts to really tax them. And then, you know, I've had situations where by the second or third day they were shot. And there were some cases where I didn't know how to, how to avoid that other than just making them sing less and getting my assistant to, uh, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to tune it up. Yeah. No, 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 no. To, uh, track it for them. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Because the choice was either blow them out completely and don't finish or figure out a way to finish. And that's, and the reason I started doing that was because I did have a situation where, a band on a label came in. The singer was like that. And within two days, he blew himself out completely and was wow. out of well. commission for six weeks. And so I realized also that you can't just start giving a vocalist who's never practiced like Melissa Cross exercises because they won't know what they're doing. They'll hurt themselves if they like suddenly go from nothing to being all nervous about the studio and trying to do Melissa Cross for like four hours a day. So I guess what I'm getting at is how would you approach having to deal with a vocalist who has no background or knowledge of how to do it properly? 
how to not get them to blow themselves out? What can you give them that they could pick up quickly? Hold on one second. I just want to rudely interrupt and reiterate the importance of this because I'll give you an example. Like a lot of times a vocalist will come into the studio and because they're in the studio, they're like, okay, I got to go extra hard because this is forever. This is my recording. I had a guy once come in and within the first hour, he was given that extra 15% on his vocals and I was not experienced enough at the time to understand this and he blew out his vocal for five months. So imagine recording a whole CD with a band, getting the guy in and in one hour, okay, I'll see you in many months from now. And he had to go have rehab and vocal coaching and stuff like that. And oh his voice was God. never the same. So that is a prime example of how important this is and listen up. So sorry. Go ahead, Mary. No, no, I, I love it. I love hearing what you guys are saying because I coach a lot of people. <laughs> I mostly, co I only coach adults now and most of them are like professional singers and um, or screamers in bands in active things. So I hear this stuff all the time or I hear like, I used to be able to do this and then I blew up my voice doing this. Okay, so if you have a guy who's like that, first thing first, you really want to encourage them to lay off the talking. That's one thing they can do. They need to understand that when they're going to be in the studio that day, they need vocal rest and they need it after the studio as well to reduce the swelling. A lot of people don't understand. You can't just go around speaking with your instrument all the time. This is why a lot of times singers seem reclusive or standoffish on tour. Well, it's just a simple matter of the fact that like you can't go around talking because that's your instrument. And when you talk, you generally do not use correct speaking techniques. So a lot of people who have injuries and nodules are just the people who will never shut up. Tell them that they have <laughs> to take a break, you know, that they have to. God, and that's if you, true. <laughs> yeah. And they need to, they, you know, and I can cite certain singers, but I don't want to like put anybody on blast, but I know a few, <laughs> I know a few big time guys who have vocal issues because they never shut up. They will not get off the phone. And they, I think they probably have permanent, and these are people who have training and stuff and people who are doing very well. So, you know, they probably have permanent nodules and damage and things like that. You know, all the tissues and vocal cords can scar and callus and do all these crazy things, you know, but we can prevent a lot of that by just keeping the inflammation down. So keep the sessions shorter. I mean, I know that was like an hour, so there's nothing you could do there, but, you know, try to keep them shorter, give them a couple hours of vocal rest between every hour of tracking, but really iterate to them that it needs to be actual vocal rest. They need to text, they need to email, they need to write stuff on paper, they need to let everybody around them know that I am vocal resting and they need to seriously do that. That's one thing. The other thing is you can give them like, tell them, I mean, there are like, if they just warm up for like 10 minutes, one thing that happens with like a lot of screaming, like is people just don't warm up the voice and then they hemorrhage a vocal cord. It kind of sounds like what maybe happened to the guy whose voice blew out after an hour. When you're putting the effort into it, I notice the blood rushed to my head when I fry scream especially. So I really, really notice this rushing of blood pressure. So again, it's very athletic and you're way more at risk to burst a vocal cord if you haven't primed the area and brought blood to the area and started to dilate those vessels. So if you can find like one very simple 
singing warm up. You know, maybe I, I have some like my my singing vocalizing exercises are pretty simple. I have one that I can give you guys uh, in a video that anybody can use on YouTube. But just if you get them to do one thing, maybe before they start, maybe just ten minutes before they start, if they just haven't done anything at all, you know, just and if they're resistant, that's their own problem, you know. But but like just that ten minutes will dilate the blood vessels, you know. Even if they're not super keen on warming up, tell them just take a few deep breaths, lift the chest, do a few like, hey, hey, you know, just some speaking, you know, just try to get them to warm up for 10 to 15 minutes. You don't want to do too much more than that because, again, you, you have an hourglass on your instrument. You got to keep warm ups to a minimum. Don't let people warm up for an hour before they sing for an hour. That's like running the marathon before you run the marathon. You want to do it <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes, you know, that's it. But that 10 to 15 minutes is necessary. So just explain to them, you know, hey, I had a guy, you know, literally blow out his voice. You can burst a vessel in your vocal cord and I don't want you to do that. Another thing is making sure their levels are good in their ears. A lot of times they go too far because they can't hear and uh, just constantly checking with them about the levels because I find hearing in the studio is really tough for me because um, not only do I know that I have some hearing loss, but I also can't, uh, it's like so much to hear over all the distorted instruments and the guitars and the drums. Like for metal vocals especially, it's very challenging. Man, I guess uh, lots of these vocalists that I've encountered who uh, blow it out also didn't take me seriously when I told them about vocal rest and stuff. Maybe they're just not serious people. Yeah, I mean, you got to kick their ass. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there's some people are just incorrigible, man. Like, I do remember telling them to not speak and to write things down and to uh, try to take the vocal rest and they just... But won't listen. Next time you fly me down and I'll yell at them for you and they'll do it. <laughs> Joel will tell them how fast they're going to go work at Pizza Shuttle if they don't. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, you're right. There are some people and I, I've been coach. I've been teaching lessons for over a decade now and I definitely know that some people just want to do what they want to do they don't want to listen to you you can't see the instrument so it's really hard for people to assess the damage they've done to admit the damage they've done to admit like the extra effort being you know like Joel's and you guys are always saying no small time right so it's small time to be pouty about it and not want to be constructive with it not take your instrument seriously you know would your guitar player you know just jam on his strings when he's not using it, you know, or whatever. When you start framing it like other instruments, you know, Matt Barlow from My Earth in an interview said, you know, he doesn't really party and stuff. And, and he told his guys, they were giving him a hard time about it. He said, you know, would you take your guitar to the bar and pour beer and smoke all over it every night? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Depends on what kind of musician you are. But that's a good point. It's like, do you take this seriously? Do you want to be the best? Do you want to be a badass? You have to think of yourself like an athlete, maybe more than a musician. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that's something Rob Flynn went on at length. I remember when they were on tour and we were doing vocals for Is There Anybody Out There? He he blew out, like he got sick for a while and then he was losing his voice because they were doing A Night with Machine Head, which was like a two and a half hour set, four to six days a week. 
And, you know, we had like a really bad sinus infection and all this stuff. And it was interesting because I'd be like, all right, uh, he's going to record vocals this week. And then he'd be like, dude, I, I you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I got to the hotel. And I needed my rest day. But he was telling me every day I'd get done with the show. I'd go to bed early. You know, everybody else would go out and do this and that. But I'm, I'm the first one in to go to bed. I'm absolutely not talking to anybody. I'm sitting down just completely strict regimen. And I think that's super important for vocalists on the road when you have to perform, but also vocalists in the studio you know, they have to take yes. it to that level. And if you want to be one of the best and considered one of the best, you have to do what the best do. Yes. You have to be like an athlete and take it seriously. You know, like Michael Phelps, you know, body is your instrument. You know, he can't go out and party. He has to sleep. He has to eat a certain way. He has to do all these specific things that make him the baddest of the bad, right? You know, the best of the best. Same thing with a guy like Rob Flynn. He's been doing this for decades. You know, he's got to really take it seriously, keep up his reputation. Does he want to, you know, do you want to go out on stage with certainty too? I try to give people specifics so that they don't go on on stage with this whole uncertainty, like, oh, I hope I get it tonight. You know, <laughs> like that is not a way. So many singers do that, though. Like they just, all right, well, I hope I get it. You know, and it's like that's not um, a good feeling and it's not going to make you a consistent performer at all. And I've seen this all the way up to super high level professional vocalists where they're really ridiculously inconsistent because they don't want to do these things, you know, and it's not any fun. Maybe <laughs> it's not as fun. I'll just say that, you know, you don't get to quite live like the ego party crazy style but you know it's again what do you want to be how, how, how do you want to feel on stage do you want to know you're going to get it or hope you're going to get it you know yeah plus your fans are expecting and paying for you to get it so speaking of vocal health because I think this is a great tangent. Mary, what are some great general tips for vocal health in the studio or prepping? So for example, let's just say I book the local band, they want to come in and you know, I'm sitting there on the phone with them and I'm telling them how they can prepare. I feel like every producer should have a, here's what your vocalist needs to do before coming in to be healthy so we can ah. have a kick-ass session. So what would that perfect checklist be for vocal health? Okay. So I would say one, make sure that they have any acid reflux issues resolved before they get there. One thing people don't realize, even though that your vocal cords are in your windpipe, they are really close to the epiglottal funnel where the two tubes meet. So what happens is people with acid reflux, it splashes up out of the epiglottis when you're sleeping, especially, and it goes into the windpipe and it it erodes at the vocal cords. I mean, this heals if people treat it, but I have had countless vocalists, myself included, who've had acid reflux problems. So if they, they need to make sure that if they have heartburn or any sort of reflux, they need to be taking their Nexium or get a prescription or whatever they do before they get there because they need to make sure that that's resolved. You don't want to be like having to deal with acid, a curable you know, medical issue. It's a very, very, very common issue with singers because people who are doing correct breathing are pushing on their stomach a lot. And when that's happening, they can have, it's just super common. So that's one thing. Resolve any pending medical issues with your, you know, make sure you bring your medication for acid reflux. If you have a heart, chronic heartburn sufferer, you can't expect to go in the studio and do a great job. Second thing is make sure that they bring anti-inflammatory things. Like, of course, like we talked about some mint tea, or you guys could have some on hand, but try to get them to bring it. You know, their mint tea, maybe some Ricolas. So you want to have them to have some moisturizing and anti-inflammatory things. 
things. Then you want to make sure that they have a 10 to 15 minute somewhat of any type of warm up prepared to use. Now, you could suggest to them a couple of YouTube videos that you like, but explain to them that they need to have a prepared thing to do for 10 to 15 minutes every day before they go in there. So that will prevent, and you can tell them, to prevent vocal injury, hemorrhaging, you know, these things that they don't really know about. The other thing you can get without warming up is polyps, like hemorrhoids on your vocal cords. You know, it's the same reason people get hemorrhoids, because the blood rushes to the area without preparation, and it tends to pool. So then you're left with these polyps full of blood, and this happens with vocal cords as well. So you really want to make sure that they can maybe find a 10 to fit, I mean, really easy. It can just be like one video of like major chords, you know, mm-hmm, you know, like simple. It doesn't have to be much, just 10 to 15 minutes to get them kind of doing something, you know, just vocalizing and bringing blood to the area. It doesn't have to be too crazy. And then the other thing is be prepared for vocal rest. Tell them you will have to do a lot of singing and you will have to do a lot of takes. So do not think that you are going to be able to talk. Prepare your schedule. Do not schedule meetings. Do not schedule conference calls. Do not schedule interviews. You know, be prepared to let everyone in your team of band business know that you are going to be emailing and texting on those days and be prepared to be committed to vocal rest when you are done in the studio for the day and before, not just before, especially when you're done. Because that vocal rest will save people, literally save people's whole thing. It will reduce the inflammation. And then, um, of course, tell them to avoid things like ibuprofen, aspirin. If they are prescribed them and they can't get around that, then there's nothing you can do about that. But tell them to minimize, reduce, and avoid the use of all NSAIDs before they go in the studio. Aleve, ibuprofen. Um, I think Tylenol is not an NSAID, so I think that's okay, but it's kind of bad for your liver. It's not. Yeah. And aspirin is an NSAID. So you really want to minimize the use of those because that will prevent like kind of like the hemorrhaging scenario. And tell them, you know, And this is another request that a lot of people aren't going to honor, but try to minimize your smoking or switch to vaping for the time that you're in the studio. You know, try to minimize the exposure to the dryness, whatever kind of smoking they do, because I will be the first one to say that pot smoke is way different on the voice than nicotine smoke because of what they do to it. However, they're both drying, you know, so get people to vape, you know, just tell them you're really going to want to maybe vape before you get to the studio. And of course, have them practice. Tell them they need to know the songs and how they go before they get in the studio. If they're not practiced at these things, you know, they're going to do have more difficulty, of course, you know, and they could listen to you or not. They could tell you to, you know, go to hell or whatever. But you can say fuck off. <laughs> yeah, they could tell you to fuck off. Right. We don't have the FCC rules on this show. So, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering that because I used to work in commercial radio, too. So I'm like, am I on FCC? This rules is today not. Or? Commercial radio. <laughs> fuck, 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 That's the only rule. Um, okay, you just here's sit there question. and just be like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> here's a good question then. So Mary, as a studio owner, right, you have a vocal session coming up. What are some things you can do to prepare the space for a more productive vocal performance in terms of um, physical performance? So for example, like humidity and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so if you have like a big air vent in in your ISO booth, you may want to like just turn the knob and shut that bad boy off, okay? You know, it might get hot in there for the singer, but they're going to give a better performance if they don't have 
hot or cold air, especially cold air though. Air conditioning is really the drying one more, but the, the any forced air heat. So you might want to switch to like a radiative heat or something like that. That will help. And then one thing is just you could put a humidifier in that room with maybe like a drop of mint oil in it. You know, <laughs> and you could put that right in the ISO booth because the steamier it is, even if it's. I mean, you don't want it to be so wet that it interferes with the equipment or, or anything like that. But the steamier it is, the better it is. You get a cool mist humidifier so the temperature isn't so hot. You know, depending on the climate you live in, a cool mist humidifier will actually kind of take the place of air conditioning through ev- evaporative cooling. People will feel comfortable. So that one's good. And again, you can drop a, a little drop of mint, like essential oil in there if you really want to get to it. Just keep some herbal mint tea on hand so that when they're struggling, you can be like, you're going to take an hour break. You're going to rest your voice. And you're going to drink this cup of tea. That's what I do. I sit their ass down. You know, this is what you're going to do. And, you know, and you're not coming back in until you've not talked for at least an hour and you've drank in all that tea, you know, or whatever. They could also drink it while they're singing. So have that. You may want to keep a facial steamer on hand. Like I was saying, Vicks and Conair make them for colds. They just cover up like the mouth and nose. You just put your face in there. And I think those are like a cooler mist as well. And you, you won't like burn yourself. So you could have a facial steamer and like sit them down and be like, take a few puffs. It's kind of like vaping water, you know, take a few hits off of this facial steamer, you know, <laughs> and then we're going to go back and try it again, you know, and you could put a little drop of Vicks in there too. Vicks is fine. It's, it's fairly natural and menthol or whatever, you know, whatever that, that works as well, you know, and then if they're, you know, just you know, also you may want to keep just like some Tums and some antacids. You know, if once you get people really saying and screaming and pushing on their stomach, they might start to have like a heartburn. And again, you really want to mitigate reflux. When you're pushing up, it's going to splash, even if you're awake and standing up, it really tends to splash up over onto the vocal cords. It's a huge, huge thing with singers, acid reflux. Like we hear professional singers all the time use it as an excuse for lip singing, sinking. But you know, <laughs> it's an actual real thing. And it happened to me after like I turned 18 and I started doing classical training and pushing on my stomach. I gave myself a hiatal hernia, which is what gives you like indefinite acid reflux until you get it fixed. So basically a lot of people have that. So if you have like some Tums or something kind of mitigate that around, you know, that's not, that's fairly safe to use, you know, just really help people with the moisture and the acid reflux. Also moisture is an amazing thing because, you know, the person may be completely untrained, but again, it's going to well oil the instrument and prime the instrument. And when the vocal cords aren't moist and the other tissues like the soft palate, it'll actually make the surface rough. It can actually make the swelling more, you know, um, because it'll cause more friction. So, you know, even if the person doesn't do anything else, like really moisturizing their environment and mentholating it really helps significantly. Nice. So fantastic. We have uh, some questions from our audience now. I would like to ask you, um, I'll try to make sure that we don't cover things that you already covered. Okay. But uh, here we go. Here's one from Austin Brady. Which is, I've had some vocalists that went from being kind of bad to actually being able to pull off the part better than before, at least, after we had some food. But I've always been under the impression that you shouldn't eat or drink anything besides water while tracking. Think we could get some insight on this? Um, you know, food 
provides you with energy, and you need that when you're singing. It's just that you should tr- probably like think of it again like an athlete. If you have a full stomach and you're pushing up against your stomach, right, because you're singing and screaming the right way, you know, with with a lot of energy. Even if you even if you're not the right trained singer, you don't don't necessarily know you're singing with the diaphragm. If you're screaming, you're probably going to be squeezing your abdomen pretty hard, and that is where people get the hiatal hernia or they get acid reflux because you're pushing against the full stomach, <laughs> against the full pressure. So, I mean, I think food is great. Like, you know, James Labrie from Dream Theater in an interview about singing, he says he always eats something really healthy before he goes to bed at night because the vitamins and the nutrients, you know, help him heal, you know, his voice and, and move on to the next day. So, you know, I think food is a great thing. I think, though, you like an athlete, just give yourself like 30 minutes after the meal, you know, just to kind of move things through and move things along, not to where you're hungry, you know, because if you're hungry, you're going to be fatigued. I mean, and, and you can drink a variety of beverages in the studio. I mean, you know, if a person is just not a water drinking person <laughs> and they just want to drink soda, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Will the caffeine and the sugar kind of dry things out? Absolutely. But if they're like inhaling steam, you know, or uh, in a moist environment, it'll kind of mitigate like the specifics of what they need to be drinking. But yeah, I would just say like, just like an athlete, just wait like 30 minutes. Otherwise, it's really no big deal. I mean, you probably don't want to eat something like super spicy, you know, like like super buffalo hot wings or something like, you know, well, other than that, though, I, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, if you eat something like really mucusy, breathing in steam or drinking the mint tea will kind of mitigate that as well. So maybe avoid eating something like ridiculously creamy, I guess. Anything that's going to like make you more mucusy. But if you wait that 30 minutes, that effect usually goes away. You know, it's really no chicken tikka masala for me, huh? It depends on how hot it is. Like, I guess, I, I guess the only reason is because I wouldn't want you to push on your stomach, you know, and push on the spices. I love spicy food too, so. But I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. I don't want people to get too neurotic about those things. You know, I'd rather have them just eat whatever they want, make themselves happy, full, feel good, you know, and just wait like thirty minutes, and we'll cure the rest with like steam and breathing and mint and all that. All right, here's one from Justin Kang. Which is, anybody watch Zen of Screaming? I don't remember them taking different considerations between different screaming styles. Are there any specific warm-up considerations for different screaming styles? Yeah, so, yeah, so I definitely, so I did do a few lessons back with Melissa Cross back a long time ago. And that was back when we were shopping to Roadrunner, believe it or not. (laughs) Uh, And I was going to New York. So I understand her techniques a lot, but I've definitely taken a different approach and expanded upon them. Because there is a little bit different stuff going on with false cord screaming and fry screaming. Fry screaming, we're making noise with the tissues in our throat by holding the vocal cords together. Uh, They don't sing or anything. They're just held together. And then false cord screaming, they just sit open and we're using the same tissues. What is inhaling? How does that work? Like pig squeals and shit like that? Is there a technical term for that other than awesome? Other than I hate it? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The thing about inhaling is you got to be really, you really shouldn't do it. You can, a low for ice cream where the larynx is low and the vocal cords are together will create the same whistle tone. I have students doing low fry screams and people think they're inhaling all the time and they're not. Do you want to demonstrate um, what one sounds like just so if anybody um, doesn't know what it's okay, called? Okay, can... I'll try to do it, but I'm not that good at the low fry. But um, So like a fry scream is like, yeah, and if I try to bring it low, 
you can kind of hear how it's starting to go towards Jesus a pink Christ. squill. Mine aren't, mine aren't that good. <laughs> mine aren't that good. Uh, I was two. actually. Let's try that again, Mary. 20% okay. more brutal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, I can do it if you want me to. But the thing is, um, right, and just sitting here, I don't have the right energy. But when I was out live with Santa Marta in the Midwest not too long ago, I would, I, my low fries were definitely sounding very pig squealy, like on stage when I had like a lot of energy behind it. And I've got a few students that that's what they're doing. Inhale screaming is very dangerous because first of all, the vocal cords aren't meant to function that way. And we see a lot of hemorrhaging in inhale screamers because you're sucking against the vocal cords. They're they're built to withstand pressure from underneath, and that works in their favor, but they are not built to withstand pressure from above. They don't have the right support mechanisms. So when you inhale scream, you actually really hurt yourself, and most people don't get away with doing it for very long because the um, sucking in pulls on the vocal cords and it pulls on the blood vessels and we really it's the same thing like if you give someone a hickey you know you draw the blood to the surface or whatever and you can burst the blood vessels when you're inhaling you're like sucking on your vocal cords and you don't need to do that to create that sound so I really um, need to record some examples of my students doing that but the pig squeals that I teach people to do is just fry screaming we're just moving the larynx lower to change the shape of the tube because when you're fry screaming your vocal cords are sitting static. They're not singing and moving like when you sing, like, ha, ah, you know, there's no voice in it, but they are sitting closed, which creates a whistle tone. And so if you get really good at the fry, you can do like the super high whistle tones like Danny Filth and Maria Brank. And then also you get the whistle tones in the lower end where you're like literally whistling through your vocal cords, but it sounds like a squeal because that's, that's like, that's really how I think a pig is squeal is produced is through an exhale in a certain shape, not through sucking in word. And I, I think that it's better to learn to do a low fry for sure <laughs> for that. <laughs> well, I'm stoked. If you guys want to start like a 2008 or seven, like grindcore band, I'm in, we'll get like the whole CD <laughs> done in like 10 minutes, 74 songs. I, I'm just putting that out there. I'm down. And I have students who do better low, low fries than me. So I can have somebody do some six big pig squeals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's one from Glenn Helton. People here in Nashville, myself included, are always getting sick from singing downtown. Any remedies to help speed up the healing process? A lot of singers will drink hot tea with localized honey, and that helps, but it's not the be-all, end-all remedy. Also, a lot of singers will use their own mics instead of house mics to avoid catching anything. Any advice would be helpful. So hand sanitizer, right? Not sharing things. But a lot of singers in urban environments get ill because of the pollution, right? So, you know, again, watch the type of honey. Or, I mean, not, not honey. Local honey is, raw honey is good because raw local honey would affect um, anybody who's having allergen-related things. It boosts your immune system against local pollens and things like that. But to prevent, like, the kind of pollution and germ illness we get, I mean, I uh, it is fairly acidic, but you could drink a cup of emergency before you go there. I, again, it has a little bit of acid to it. Obviously, it's a pure, almost pure vitamins, vitamin C, you know. But I don't really think that that would have too much of an adverse effect if you do it just, like, a half an hour before you sing, you know, to give time that you're not pushing it up back into your throat or anything. So, you know, maybe emergency an hour or a half an hour before you sing. Mint is actually the Thai and Vietnamese people call it the green medicine. I know we have a totally different connotation for green medicine in America, but the green medicine is mint. So it is actually a great 
healing and protective for your immune system. So if you just bring like a cup of mint tea with you to the venue. I find like hand sanitizer when I was living in LA and teaching at music school, hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer. Just really saved me from getting sick. I would get sick, but then once I started using hand sanitizer all the time, I was fine. So, you know, just be aware of like who you're shaking hands with, who you're sh- sharing the microphone with. And again, keeping your respiratory health in check. Venues, you will not have any control over the humidity or the climate. So the only thing you can do is bring a steamer. For example, one group that I coached, I coached a whole band, a cover band, a really professional cover band out of San Diego. I coached everybody that sings in that band. They're called Hitman Honey. And um, the singer is, the main singer, Melissa, is amazing. And she, I saw them play when I was coaching them at a really smoke-filled casino, which I think would be akin to the pollution in like downtown LA or downtown Nashville or wherever. And people really have problems with the respiratory and the pollution and the carbon. They don't realize it. And so in that smoky environment, they had to do uh, like three or four hour sets or something like that, you know? I mean, and granted, they do distribute the singers through the singers, so that's a hell of a lot. So what she was doing, she brought one of those Con Air facial steamers with her to the venue, and between the sets, she would get that steam going and breathe that in between the sets, you know, to protect protect her respiratory system from the uh, smoke-filled environment. So I would say, you know, again, moisture and steam and mint is going to help you a lot. Avoid green and black tea. Those are going to dry you out. The honey is fine. Awesome. All right. Here's one from uh, Jeffrey Ullman, which is, uh, sorry, sorry, Jeffrey, I don't know if you actually pronounced your name like that. That was pretty good, dude. He's sitting there like, God damn it. It just came out that way. So um, I got to mix a local band, and I don't know, but I think their vocalist is using a wrong technique or something like that. His screams sound like he is not distorting them enough. Is there a way I can fix that in a mix? I guess, Joel, that's more of a question for you. There's just too much of his voice in the screams. And I personally, me, this is AL speaking, I know that when uh, that's happening in the studio, that the singer is just not ready to be screaming. Yes. So here's one thing. Of course, you can go in afterwards and add, you know, some digital kind of overdrive. Distortion. Yeah, distortion pedal, whatever you want to do. But that never sounds as good as the real deal, right? Never, ever, ever, ever. It sounds like you do that, like you put an effect on it. And I hate that personally. I don't like people to do anything to my screams. Like, you know, I like them to be raw because I do have enough distortion. I don't want people to add. I just want them to compress it and put some reverb on. That's it. (laughs) You know, I don't want them to do effects on it because I can actually do it. So, yeah, you can make up for it with effects. You know, I'm sure that, again, Joel would have a lot to say about that. But when you have a guy in the studio that isn't putting enough distortion in it. Yeah, they're basically just yelling. Distortion comes from the other tissues in the trachea and in the epiglottal t- funnel at the top of the mouth. So it it really comes from just the friction of air flapping around the false cords, the soft palate, the uvula, and all these other epiglottal tissues in there. And that can't really hurt anything. you know. But yelling and trying to scream without the flapping around of those tissues will just make you yell and make your vocal cords slam together like that, just slam. And so, for example, if I'm like, hey, hey, you know, that's really clean, there's not enough distortion. If I picture in my mind, I've associated the frictiony feeling of 
these tissues because it does make a scratchy feeling. The scratchy feeling is necessary to have enough white noise. If there's not enough white noise in the scream, then it doesn't sound good and you need to add distortion. Hey! Hey! You know, fry scream. Hey! You know, false chord scream. Hey! You know, those two have white noise without any voice in them. So it's really important to generate the white noise part of it, that they have the scratchy feeling in their throat, which is different than a painful feeling. It's not a sharp or aching pain. It's a scratchy, gritty feeling. The way I get people to add more of that is I tell them, imagine that you have a, a like at the beginning of the HBO show and it has the TV static. It's like, ha, and it brings up the TV static. Imagine you have the TV static. There's that white noise or like soda spitting out kind of like a like a very white noise. Imagine that you've wrapped it up in a ball and you're going to set that right on top of your tongue while you're trying to scream. And then you can get sometimes people to do like more of a, hey, you know, or if they you can always pull out the Melissa cross above the pencil. Tell them to imagine that their screams are going up above the corners of their mouth and going forward. I do that with fry screamers a lot. Yeah, I get a lot more distortion out of it than that way when I do that. So, you know, there are a couple pointers you can give to people. And if also the chest lift, the breathing, if they're not getting enough white noise, a lot of times if they just breathe more, they'll get it, you know? So you could have them try the sternum lift also. This Thank is the you. most metal podcast episode ever. Like yeah. We've never, actually, <laughs> we've never had sick vocals on a podcast before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just sitting here making like horrible noises in my yeah, studio. They're, they're great. I um, hope you gained your mic correctly because when I mix this, I'm going <laughs> to lose so, my shit. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I set my levels on the recording good, you know, for but I'm sure the computer mic sounds awful. <laughs> you just knew you were gonna breathe fire off. the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm a super loud vocalist and you know, so I, I already know that it's gonna go that way when I do examples. So we're gonna have to wrap really soon, so let me just get a couple more questions out. There's uh, some good ones here that I wanna make sure we get. So here's one from Glenn Helton and uh here goes. I've seen many singers sing up the scale right when their voice goes over into falsetto and their voice cracks. It doesn't sound smooth. Any advice or technique on how to seamlessly go from regular to falsetto? Yeah. So there's two different types of tone placement. We talked about imagining your sound going forward, your laser beam of notes, all your notes. You're going to use, you know, people call it like chest voice or head voice, but I hate those terms because chest voice... All low notes resonate in your chest. It's physics of sound, just like the way your speakers are set up. Bigger ones are your subwoofers, the smaller ones are your tweeters. All high notes are gonna resonate in your sinuses and in your face, whether you're an opera singer or a rock singer. So chest voice and head voice are terms we wanna throw out for the minute while we're talking about this. We're talking about rock singing versus your falsetto singing. So most people can belt and rock sing and keep that forward tone placement pretty consistently in my experience for their first two octaves of their range relative to their personal range, whether they're a baritone, a bass, a tenor, a soprano, high voice or low voice, you get two octaves of belt range. And sometimes with men, it's two and a half because they get a little bit on the low end. If they're a high voice guy, it's pretty much going to be two. That last third octave, most people have three octaves that they can get at. And the last third octave is going to be your falsetto. You need to change your laser position in your mind. So to smoothly do that, 
You know, you're going to imagine that your laser cannon is going to lift and it's going to point right between your eyes is one type of falsetto. So when you get to where you can't belt anymore, you could send the sound between your eyes. And that is really where we hear like a lot of counter tenors sing, like the, the extremely high male voices. So a lot of guys live up there like Getty Lee, Robert Plant, Justin Timberlake, Pharrell, you know, I just want to love you, baby, that kind of stuff that's right in the middle there. So, and same thing with uh, Getty Lee, fly by night, you know, right in the middle of his eyes. He's not belting, he's not sending it forward. It's not fly by night, you know, it's different. So I would imagine if I'm going to transition, my laser just lifting right between my eyes and that picture in your mind will change. And if you really want to do, and that will give you control, it will give you control and it will change your voice and it will reduce the crack for sure. Just imagining the specifics of it going there, because remember your abstract thought controls it, not direct thought. So the picture is actually going to make your voice do what you want it to do. If you want to do super high hair metal, you turn your laser all the way up and imagine it coming out through the top of your head. So like Phil Anselmo, Cemetery Gates, your super high falsetto, Gates, you know, straight through the top of the head. He's belting for the entire rest of the song. His laser's forward. Believe the word. You know, it's forward. But when he gets to that note, you turn your laser all the way up to the top of your head, send it up to the top of your head. And those laser positions will help you vastly transition up into your falsetto with ease, without straining or anything like that. Awesome. Okay, here's one from Luke Mansell Ward which is uh, what happens when recording vocals at the top of a vocalist's range? How do you approach this when a singer is struggling to hit the notes? Okay, that's, uh, again, breathing and tone placement. So tell them to fill the lungs by breathing through the mouth and lift the sternum as they begin to sing. So, And then they also need to imagine it going forward. If you're trying to belt a high range, you know, and not flip into your falsetto... There's two things. You need to make sure your voice type is right. I have so many baritones who try to sing like counter tenor stuff. Like, like I have a lot of guys with medium low voices that are trying to sing like audio slave. Well, Chris Cornell is a counter tenor. It's extremely high. So first of all, I would say don't ever be afraid to transpose. Transpose. I'm a contralto. I'm the lowest female voice type. I live in transposition. Does it, you know, and a lot of people don't realize, a lot of professional people tune down a whole step live anyway. So don't have too much pride over it. You know, transpose it if you can't do it, you know. And if you're in the studio and just can't transpose it because it's already written and it's already done, you need to work on the forward tone placement. If you think about reaching up for a note, which most people do, your larynx will move up. It responds to your abstract thought, which is why you need to give it a specific picture. So if you think up, it shoots up. When your larynx shoots out of its middle position, whether it goes too low or too high, your soft palate drags, you cut off your resonance, and you can't sing the high note. You get that choking, that sound, because the larynx is literally choking you. So if you imagine your high note going forward or through the floor, I make a lot of people look at the floor when they try to go for you know, I'm like, look at the floor and send your laser forward through the floor. Have them look down while they're trying to do it and make sure that they're taking in enough air and trick their mind. If as long as they're thinking about reaching up, also watch their head. If their head is like really tilted up to the microphone, adjust it. Make it go down, actually. Put it lower than them. If they're reaching up and up and up, it's going to cut them off. Try to get them to do it loudly and powerfully while thinking down. Wonderful. Well, Mary... Thank you so much for coming on. I know that this could probably go on for hours. So I'm going to just say that we should probably do a part two 
at some point yeah, later on in the year. Fascinating. I learned a ton. Dude, thank you guys so much. Mary, your depth of knowledge on vocal performance is astonishing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, right when we got off here, stay on Skype for a second because I got to ask you a couple questions. But, yeah, I'm blown away by how much you know. I knew that you knew your shit, but um, you're clearly an encyclopedia of uh, vocal knowledge. So thank you for thank sharing you that. And uh, anybody listening who wants more from Mary, meaning tutorials, tips, tricks, whatever, check the show notes, and uh, we will include links to all her uh, all her sites. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. Visit Focusrite.com for more information. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.